0: I'm Kate Daniels. Rob Barnett is an author, energy expert, and public speaker. He works with Bloomberg Intelligence, the company's research division. Living the good life, certainly the comfortable life, Rob found that he was obese. Inspired by friend and co-worker Chris Payne, Rob decided to follow the plan that Chris used for his weight loss and kept off for 10 years at that time. After losing about 75 pounds starting in 2014, Rob co-authored The Economist's Diet with Chris Payne. Rob joins us this morning from his home in England to share insights that I believe can provide an important new thought process. Let's meet Rob and learn. Rob Barnett, good morning and thank you so greatly for being with us this morning.
1: Pleasure to join you, Kate.
0: You have presented us with this really intriguing and interesting book. You and your co-author, of course, I should say, with Christopher Payne, The Economist Diet. And what's so interesting is that we can use this economist in what we think of as being economical for our budget, but also more primarily because it's diet. It really works putting that into effect for our body, for our waistline, for being healthy.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, when we set out to write the book, I mean, first and foremost, I would say that both Chris and I are formerly obese individuals. I weighed almost 250 pounds at my peak, and I weigh over 70 pounds less today. And so in some sense, we wanted to share our personal success with weight loss and Chris and I both happen to work in the profession of economics and we also realized that a lot of the techniques that we both employed to to lose weight were really founded on more behavior more you know, this new behavioral type of economics as opposed to nutritional uh, data and approach. Frankly, we think the nutritional approach to dieting has failed. Uh, It certainly failed for us in the past. So our effort is to really try to give folks a a toolkit for tackling uh, obesity and and being overweight using a, a, a more of a behavioral guide.
0: And certainly what really is so substantial here is the fact that you have experienced it. You've lived through it both from that standpoint of all the excess weight. And we will use the term obese because you have. And we know that in this country and in the U.S., we certainly are hitting that kind of plateau, if you will, of obesity. So having been there, both of you, and being able to have looked at it so educationally, I guess, uh, intellectually, and made it work for you, that's where we can use that experience and see that, hey, what have we got to lose except weight by trying it?
1: Well, I certainly think so. If you look at the data, there really is no secret or surprise in our view as to why so many of us have struggled with weight like Chris and I used to. If you look at the data through time as our income, our gross domestic product through per capita through time, as it's gone up, so is our food consumption. It's just right there in lockstep. We're simply eating too much. And this is despite lots of knowledge. When I was at my peak weight, I didn't need anyone to tell me that you know, salad was good for me or that you had to eat your fruits and vegetables, or that they're more healthy than, say, perhaps a serving of pizza or burgers and fries. If if you haven't already sort of mastered the basics, uh, you know, maybe our book isn't the right starting point, but if you already sort of have a, a working knowledge of foods that are sort of generally agreed upon as healthy, how do you change your life, change your behaviors to lose weight. When I was at my peak weight, I would, I would often be out with friends who were much thinner, and I, we would be eating the same foods. And I would look at them, and I would say, "My goodness, here I am. I have just had the burger and fries and a few beers. So did my 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 buddy sitting right next to me. He's thin. I'm not." In the and the thing is, I thought, well, maybe there was some kind of genetic reason or that I was predispositioned to be overweight, something along those lines. I made lots of excuses. But the thing is that I wasn't following those friends for the meals prior and the meals after. I had some very selective data points. But the thing is that thin people behave differently than overweight and overweight obese people. And so you've got to change your behavior. Uh, The first thing that I would recommend for someone who's listening and they, they want to sort of you know, make some changes to try to lose some weight, the starting point for the book, and in many ways the book is a treatise on why both Chris and I think you need to weigh yourself every single day. I start every morning and have for over four years now by standing on a scale. My co-author, Chris, has done it for over a decade. The scale, your weight on the scale every morning, is a powerful metric. In economics and in business, people often quip, if you can't measure it, you can't control it. So what I would say is start incorporating this very important piece of data into your life. And I'm happy to talk more about sort of the value of doing that. But any listener who takes nothing else away, should really start to get acquainted with the scale in our view. It's it's the key that unlocks a lot of changes in behavior that, uh, that we could speak about.
0: And yes, absolutely excellent. And really interesting because, of course, there are other viewpoints that say, oh, no, you know, don't use the scale. But you have found successfully that it keeps you on track. And yes, let's see how it worked for you to be tracking that on a daily basis.
1: Sure. Look, the thing that, that both Chris and I would reflect upon is that the behavior is that your weight on the scale is not some kind of random number. It is actually quite reflective of your prior day's behavior. And so if I go out and eat a pizza, burgers and fries, a few beers tonight, whatever the case may be, some kind of splurge, I promise you I will weigh more tomorrow morning than I did today. It's fundamental. Uh, We constantly see very clear signal coming through that that idea of weighing ourselves every day. And there's actually peer-reviewed research out there that looks at taking groups of individuals, not giving them any kind of guidance on, here's what you need to do, here's how you need to eat, but simply saying, weigh yourself every day. Frequent measurement of weight is correlated with people being able to sustainably lose weight over time. And it's because we're not suggesting just get that number and don't think about it. You're going to have to sort of see how your behavior reflects on the scale the next morning, and and you'll find yourself making small changes if you incorporate this practice into your life.
0: And so what do we have to lose by trying some other method than the absolute opportunity that things are going to change. We owe that to ourselves. I think so. When I was at my peak
1: weight, you know, I often had the best intention. I I knew that maybe I shouldn't grab a bag of chips or a candy bar. Yet, despite that sort of knowledge of health and, and sort of knowing that I maybe shouldn't do things, I did it anyway. And this is because essentially when you're hungry or when you're up against financial constraints, you don't act as rationally as you theoretically should. And so uh, scarcity, whether it's scarce financial resources or scarcity of self-imposed scarcity of food, individuals don't think clearly. Behavioral economists would call this a bandwidth tax on thinking. And the thing that the scale does is it helps you cut through those irrational tendencies to grab maybe the candy bar or the other things (laughs) or the bags of chips. Uh, Because if it's a number that's firmly imprinted on your mind each morning, it's something that you're sort of Constantly managing through time, and it teaches you a lot about how your behavior connects to your weight on the scale. Some of the diet programs out there that encourage you know rapid weight loss, these these sort of fad diets, we think that they don't really give the individual the opportunity to learn about their own body, and so in some sense by stepping on the scale every day you're giving yourself the ability to experiment well how does eating a big meal in the evening affect you on the scale the next morning how does you know the extra bag of chips affect you on the scale i mean you can literally start running some experiments and see what works what doesn't work for you individually it's a it's a very powerful metric
0: and you touched on the idea of scarcity and how that plays into it and that also is so key because if we're feeling that scarcity anywhere that we might go out to eat and it has these you know you can get more food for a little bit more money we feel oh that's that's really a great bargain and well you know that you experience that. Your co-author Chris experienced that as well, Rob. So I think we can find ourselves in that place too, can't
1: we? Absolutely. One of the things that you'll probably notice if you're sort of paying very close attention to the scale is that you've really got to resist the diet industrial complex. Uh, you've got to resist upselling. I mean, humans love a bargain, but unfortunately when it comes to food, unless it's a really special occasion, skip the extra-sized Coke, even if it's uh, a little bit more. In fact, you probably should be wary of Coca-Cola or other sugary beverages in general. But the idea that there's a bargain available doesn't mean you should take it. And the food industry, they've done a very good job at confusing many of us about healthy norms, frankly. And one of the things we would say is that we don't Encourage any of our readers to buy into any of the words that are used by the food marketers. So, diet, fat free, low cholesterol. Uh, you pick, there's 50 odd words used to put on food labeling that sort of implies that it's a healthier option. Um, but frankly, we through experimentation, have found that really none of those things matter. If you are going to have a soda, go for the real thing. Don't go for the diet version. Of course, if you are weighing yourself day in and day out, you're probably going to find there's not much room to have soda. You, but You probably don't want to drink your calories because of the adverse effects it's going to have on where you stand on the scale. But that being said, any diet that forces you to forever give up your favorite foods uh, probably isn't going to work in the long run. I mean, I love an occasional uh, sit-down of Tex-Mex food. I love tacos and nachos, all these things. I want to occasionally have those. The problem is I can't have them all the time, and I had to train myself how to budget for those occasions when you go out and and do enjoy food. Now, we certainly want to encourage every individual to have uh, an occasional feast. It's just that we are so successful as a society. We have all of these relatively low cost foods around us. It's, It's just an abundance and we can constantly overeat if we allow ourselves to. And so a big part of what we're recommending is sort of, you know, again, getting on the scale every morning, but then sort of prioritizing the sort of opportunities that you have to eat in a way that would place a greater emphasis on the foods that you really like, but then cutting out all the ones that really don't provide you with, you know, as much utility or happiness.
0: And maybe that's where the variety comes in, that we have, you know, the whole spectrum of the world, basically, in our neighborhoods or close by. And that can certainly be an issue where we're just trying too many things and eating too much stuff then.
1: Absolutely. I mean, everybody loves variety. I love variety. But frankly, in terms of diet... A boring diet is a slimming diet. Both Chris and I, day in, day out, tend to eat fairly similar kinds of foods, you know, a bowl of cereal, a piece of food for breakfast, a salad for lunch, and then a sort of regular size dinner, I would sort of say, a square meal is what, as you might call it. But certainly if you're moving from one type of food to the next type of food constantly, you're going to have much more of a tendency to overeat and there's actually a really important economic principle here at play that that tells you why there's this great concept called diminishing marginal returns in economics and so the real most simple explanation of that is if i give you a single oreo you're going to really love that oreo if i give you a whole package by the time you get to the 30th oreo you're not gonna get nearly as much happiness, utility out of that. And so as you eat more of something, the less and less likely you're gonna to want to overconsume it. So if you're eating the same thing over and over again, there's gonna be much less propensity to overeat. And this is why you see some of those gimmicks out there where some people you know, can prove you losing weight by you know, only eating at McDonald's or something like that. Well, they're eating the same thing over and over and they got tired of eating it and they ate less of it. There's no secret here. You ultimately have to eat less. So the way we would think about it is it's maybe an 80-20 rule, 90-10 rule, that kind of thing. Most of your meals probably should be simple and boarding in some sense healthy hopefully and then that makes room for the you know those few times a week when, when you do go out and sit down with your friends and family and you know have a big meal feasting is absolutely human you want to do that on occasion. someone who is austere all of the time isn't going to enjoy life very much but it's figuring out how to balance out those big things splurges or feast against the sort of daily onslaught of food that we could have a tendency to overeat.
0: And I think many of us can relate to that. I know growing up going out for a meal was just such a treat. We just didn't do it that often, so it was very special. But as we do it on a regular basis, it loses that specialness and we just probably tend to stuff our faces. So thinking in terms of that is going to, again, there's that two prong. It helps us physically, healthily, but it also helps our bank book as well.
1: Absolutely. I mean, right now as a society, we're spending More eating at restaurants than we do in grocery stores, at least in the aggregate, that's true. And when I was at my peak weight, part of the reason, and this was true for Chris as well, is we were by no means, you know, rich, but we could afford to eat out pretty regularly without breaking our bank accounts. And we, it wasn't about the sort of, how fancy the place was, or anything like that. You know, maybe you couldn't afford the nicest, you know, house in a city or the fanciest car. But for most people, eating out is something that they can afford to do with relatively high frequency. And so, uh, just because you can doesn't mean you should. And so, one of those things that anybody who would be willing to give our dieting approach a try, they would quickly learn that, you know, eating out too much is really not good for where you stand on the scale each morning. And so you'll get that feedback. Uh, Even if we hadn't told you that, we think you'd discover it if you were stepping on the scale each morning. Um, That being said, There are going to be occasions where you find yourself eating out. I mean, it's unavoidable. You're going to regularly do it. And so what Chris and I would argue is that when, especially if it's not a special occasion, maybe you went out with some colleagues for lunch, we would say you can use nowadays calorie information that a lot of restaurants are making available to you. And so we encourage this concept that we call calorie consciousness. calorie counting – probably effective if you can do it day in and day out. But most people aren't going to do that for the rest of their lives. It's it's too much of a grind. But you can use calorie information to make more rational decisions. And so a really good example is if you're out in a restaurant, many people would have the default assumption, oh, I'm getting a salad. It must be healthy. It must be a light option. But unfortunately, that's just not true. If you look at a lot of the information that restaurants and others have made available, you'll see that uh, sometimes you can easily get more than 800 calories in a single salad. And so what we'd say is if calorie information is available, which uh, I think restaurants that have more than 20 retail locations have to disclose it nowadays, uh, use that information to guide you maybe to a lower calorie salad or a a lower calorie option Uh, just because you're at a restaurant doesn't mean you have to treat it like it's your last meal and again certainly there are going to be times where you're going to be doing that but if you're out at business lunches things like that it is definitely something to be cautious about.
0: So lots of really good information and suggestions. And let's mention, of course, it's really expanded upon here with both of your stories and experiences in this new book, The Economist's Diet, the surprising formula for losing weight and keeping it off. And it seems like uh, the two of you really had a lot of fun uh, in the process of doing this, Rob.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, look, very few people have had successful weight loss that they maintain over a long period. And so in many ways, we really are trying to help anybody else who has struggled like we used to and just hadn't found a formula that works for them. And so when I first lost my weight, that's been over four years now, a lot of people came up to me and they would say things like, Oh wow, you're you know you're looking good. You must have uh, started going to the gym or you gave up beer or something, you know just all kinds of things that I would say, well, no, not exactly. And so I think there were a lot of misconceptions about what really works in the long term. and and exercise is a great example of uh, one thing that we think is that you simply can't exercise your way out of a bad diet. All kinds of great reasons to exercise, but losing weight, in our view, is not one of them. And this is just simply because most people have sedentary office jobs, you know, they're balancing their work life with their family life. And so, in the best case scenario, what's the amount of time you're going to work out during a day? You know, maybe an hour. And so, we just think that if you are eating a typical American diet, that our best-case scenario most people are going to have is uh, is just not going to be sufficient. In fact, I worked out a lot more at my peak weight than I do today. And so one of the things about the approach that we're advocating is developing habits that are sustainable over the long term and in kind of regimen that says exercise a lot or you know, do this for a certain amount of time We don't think those work in the long run because they don't fundamentally teach you how you've got to be behaving day in, day out. I mean, I'm four years in at this point, but I'll be doing everything that I talk about in the book for the rest of my life. My co-author, Chris, same thing. He's over 10 years uh, having lost his weight. Same thing. It is really about changing your behaviors and habits over the long run. And so the book is really an effort to try and say, this is how you've got to do it. This is how we think you've got to approach it. If you really want to, uh, for whatever reason, uh, tackle uh, weight loss in your life, uh, there's certainly a lot of health benefits that come along with it.
0: And those ought to be really at the top of our list, just for so many reasons on how we feel and we don't want to be on any kind of prescription medications and too many doctor visits. So that's certainly a great reason to do it. And having done it for this amount of time, and I think it's so critical that you say this is about a lifestyle change. It's not like, okay, I'm going to lose this weight. Now I can go back to my bad habits. Uh, That's not going to reap any kind of success, is it?
1: Well, we certainly don't think so. I mean, again, It's a lifetime struggle, and there are are definitely changes that you've got to make. But when I was at my peak weight, I was actually on a prescription blood pressure medicine. And with the guidance of my doctor, obviously, don't ever make any changes to medicine without consulting your physician. But after I lost all the weight, we decided to experiment, and I was able to come off of blood pressure medicine. And so hopefully, that's going to pay dividends for years to come with having sort of blood pressure that's naturally in check as opposed to needing a prescription to help keep it in order. And and so in my own life, I've certainly witnessed that sort of nice health benefit that comes from getting my weight in line. And again, you know, Chris and I, for those who don't have pictures, you know, I mean, <laughs> we're middle-aged guys, both of us. Um, We're definitely not people trying to give you advice on turning you into Brad Pitt or something (laughs) like that. Those days have long gone. We're really just trying to give guidance on helping to get an individual's weight under control so that they can live, you know, a healthier, long life. And, um, you know, so it it really is about doing things for the long haul. and, And again... I would implore any of your listeners, you know, certainly look at the book. But also, if you don't have a scale, run out and get one today. Start standing on it. You will definitely start to see patterns that are non-random, and they'll really help you to make some changes in your life, we think.
0: And on the point of looking at the pictures, and they're there, if we want to look at the website, simonandschusterpublishing.com slash economists Diet. There we can see this before and after photograph. And it really I, illustrates, I feel, what a difference losing weight makes that you do look younger having lost the weight. And not only do you feel younger, but you are looking younger.
1: I feel pretty good. You know, I, I was not one of these individuals who I didn't feel particularly bad when I was much, much larger. And again, for me, it's about a 70-pound swing. And so, yeah, I mean, I uh, I look healthier, I hope. And, and certainly, um, it's kind of ironic. My wife was um, pregnant with our second child when I really... Started my weight loss journey, and so she she was uh, expanding a little bit, and I, I was losing weight at the same time. And uh, it's amazing to see pictures with you know my daughter now, and seeing where I stood about five years ago with my son side by side. I mean, I look like a transformed individual, and it you know I think uh, I would say it's nice to have the pictures, and I'm glad that uh, they exist. But for me, I'm hopeful that all of the changes made will really help me to live a better life through time. And and again, the blood pressure is just one example, but I think that there's no secret that Losing weight, having a slimmer waistline, is good for a variety of health outcomes. So, you know, again, it's it's not so much the vanity part of it. It certainly is nicer to have, uh, you know, slimmer fitting pants. That's great and all, but you know, if you for your family, for your children, the ability to do something like this is really important. And hopefully, it will mean that uh, both Chris and I are around for uh, as many birthdays as possible.
0: Oh yes, absolutely, a good motivator for yourselves, your birthdays, as well as being around for your children and then their children, that sort of thing. So I so appreciate, Rob, that you've spent this time with us this morning, giving us more insights, really some good, tangible suggestions for what we can do for ourselves. Most enlightening. And we mentioned the website, but people can follow you on Twitter as well, right? That's
1: right. Our handle is at EconDiet and uh, we we are pretty active on Twitter. We're also on Facebook. Uh, We do have the website that you mentioned. Uh, You can find our books in your favorite bookstore on Amazon, wherever folks want to get information. It's it's pretty available these days. And uh, yeah, we uh, thank you so much for the time. It's been a pleasure to chat about the book with you today.
0: Well, I appreciate it, Rob. And it's just great to have more ammunition, if you will, to help each of us become healthier. That's what I think we are striving for. So thank you greatly.